Welcome to a Pulp Event Podcast, brought to you by the PulpNet, your link to the online world of the Pulp Magazines for over 25 years. Learn more about the Pulp Magazines through articles, blogs, bibliographies, links, over 100 episodes of this podcast, and much more, at thepulp.net. In this Pulp Event Podcast, Christopher Paul Carey and Kathy Mann Wilbanks, Moderate a panel discussion about the 100th anniversary of Edgar Rice Burroughs Incorporated and its role in continuing Burroughs' legacy. Christopher is ERB Incorporated's Director of Publishing, and Kathy is its Vice President of Operations. Joining them are authors Chris Adams, Wynne Scott Eckert, and Will Murray, who are contributing to the Burroughs universe. The panel was part of HerbFest 2023 which was held in conjunction with PulpFest. This podcast was recorded on August 3rd at PulpFest 2023 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Christopher begins. Thank you all for coming out here and helping uh, celebrate the 100 years of Egg Race Burroughs Incorporated um, and for HerbFest. So uh, really, really uh, want to thank everybody at the PulpFest committee and everything for helping make this uh, come true, this dream. So, um, uh, I'll, first I'm going to just introduce our panelists here. So, um, uh, we have Kathy Wilbanks. She is the Vice President of Operations at Egg Race Burroughs Incorporated. Um, we have uh, Chris Adams. He's the author of Dark Tides of Mars, a new novel of Barsoom, uh, up for pre-order right now. Uh, and we have Wynne Scott Eckert. He is the author of Tarzan, Battle for Pellucidar, and the upcoming... Korak at the Earth's core, which we'll talk about a little bit later. And then we have Will Murray, who most of you know, uh, who for Egg Race Burroughs is the author of um, a lot of books, Tarzan Conqueror of Mars, Tarzan Return to Paladon, King Kong versus Tarzan, and Tarzan most lately, Tar Tarzan Back ah, to Mars. So, um, so we're going to begin uh, first, Kathy's going to talk a little bit about the centennial and a little bit about Egg Race Burroughs' life. Then I'm gonna kind of talk about new developments with the company going on, and then we're gonna talk to each of the authors in turn, so. Well, it only took us 100 years to get here, but we finally made it. <laughs> <laughs> this year has been really special for the corporation, uh, so we've celebrated in several different ways. Uh, we started off uh, with an open house at our historic Tarzana office. We did um, a panel at the WonderCon, and that was really, really uh, great because it was um, just a great way to start off the whole celebration. Uh, we did recently. We did a San Diego Comic Con panel, and that that was interesting because uh, the room capacity was about 175 people. Well, I think we had about 172 people in the room. It was crazy. It was so well attended. We only brought 100 coins because we gave out a, a special commemorative item and uh, a whole bunch of people obviously left and they didn't have coins so I've been mailing them out like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we're here uh, as you know and uh, at the end of September we're participating in a Tarzana International Film Festival. Uh, we are the first recipient to get, receive an ERB Legacy Award so that's really exciting. We'll be sending out more information about that if any of you are in the LA area during that time it would be great if you could come out. Uh, the grandson, John Burroughs, will be accepting the award along with a few other family members, so it should be a really great uh, event. 
Then we have video tributes from celebrities, family, and friends. We'll be posting those online through our social media coming up here soon. And then we've got uh, different commemorative merchandise and, of course, various book releases, uh, which you can see at our table. So we can talk about all that uh, if you stop by. Um, and then definitely sign up for our newsletter at erburrows.com so you can keep track of everything that's going on. These are the coins. These are special. Um, the, yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to read it here. Yeah, the centennial coins. They're done by Goliath Coins. And the mold is actually going to be broken at the end of 2023. So they're only available this year. So if you want to get a set, they run $20 each. But if you get the whole set of eight, they're offering a discount for $150. So you've got to go online. I've run out of them. I, I can't keep them in stock. They've really been popular. They're fantastic. We do have a set available at the table for you to check out. So you've got to come by and take a look at them. They're really well done. We've also celebrated this year by launching a new official Tarzan.com website. So that's up there. It's been a soft launch because it's been a process trying to get it all together. So you'll find there's a couple things that are, are still, we're still building, like for example, under the news tab. Uh, we don't have a lot under there quite yet, so we're transferring things over. And once it's more complete, we'll do, like we'll announce it through a MailChimp. And of course, we've got the Moon, Moon Maid Centennial, and there will be a panel on Saturday at 2 o'clock. Then you'll be able to hear all about that. Did you so, want to talk about that at no, all? No, I mean, you can go well, for it's it. going to be um, a great, um, beautiful, beautiful book that uh, Jim Gerlach, ERB Books, puts out. That is going to be um, available fairly soon. It's on pre order right now. Amazing art that goes with it. And then I just wanted to take just a few minutes just to kind of review who Edgar Rice Burroughs was and how we actually got here as a corporation. Um, many of you know that um, ERB was born in 1875 and he, in Chicago um, back in um, 19, as we heard from Lee and from others. He struggled through his life. He didn't start writing until he was 35. He had so many different professions and some he was good at, some he wasn't. And uh, he finally was just sitting there in a coffee shop waiting for his sales reps to come back to report. And he was reading these pulp magazines. He's like, I could do way better than this. But he didn't use that kind of language. He used just a little bit, uh, yeah, excuse my French. But <laughs> <laughs> so he started to actually write. And then he sent in the, the first manuscript, which was Under the Moon of Mars, and he, he got $400 for it. Now, this is just the real quick version. I know that there's a lot of other details, and you all probably know a lot about the story, but I'm just going to give you a real quick overview. Uh, so from there, it was published in the All Story magazine in 1912, and there it is there, Under the Moons of Mars. Under the pseudonym Norman normal Norman Norman Bean. Norman Bean, yep. But it was it was supposed to be normal bean. Norm yep. It was yeah. supposed to be normal bean because yeah. he wanted everybody to know that he was normal inside his mind, you know. <laughs> but he yeah, the editor changed it to Norman. So it was like, wow, I'm not yeah, okay. We're gonna go with Norman. So he continued his writing career and it wasn't until the third story. He did, um, what was the, the, the Outlaw Torn was the second effort. Then the third effort was, of course, as we know it, Tarzan of the Apes. And that one just catapulted his career, and he became this great author. And he got $700 for this one, and that totally changed his life, and that was it from, from then on. It was published in hardback 
1914, as you can see there. Then in 1918, as we know, the movies uh, first featured Tarzan of the Apes with Elmo Lincoln, and it was the very first one to gross over a million dollars. It just changed so much about science fiction in the world and, and movie going. So what do you do when you hit, have a great movie hit? You move to California, close to Hollywood, but not in California, and not in Hollywood. So he bought 550 acres from General Gray Otis, who was an editor and a founder of LA Times, and there he settled in. So he had this beautiful ranch. He tried to be a gentleman farmer for quite a while, and in uh, 19, yeah, there he is there as a gentleman farmer. And again, you know, he always went back to writing because that was his strengths. His imagination was quite wonderful. So there he is riding his horse. In 1927, he decided to build the office. Um, he started selling off some of the, the land, parceled, parceled it off. And uh, in the late 1920s, Tarzana was born. Um, there's the office there. And we are still there on Ventura Boulevard. We have the, the greatest little treasure there. We've got sky rises and, and traffic and the whole bit all zooming around us. And we're this little treasure with this huge, beautiful tree in the front of our office. With, it's just a really charming, tranquil garden. I know many of you have been there, but if you haven't ever, you've got to come over and see the office sometime. Just let me know ahead of time that you're coming and we'll do a full tour. So it's, it's really a special experience. So there he is there with Johnny. Movies took off. They had so many develop in the, the coming years. Buster Crab. Yeah, Buster Crab. And we continue with Glenn Morris and Joanne. Jim Pierce. And Jim Pierce, yeah. Then in his late, later lives he, lives, he moved to um, Hawaii, where he became a war correspondent. And there he is there. This is still in Tarzan. Oh, that's still in Tarzan. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yep. There we go. There's Hawaii. There we go. That's Hawaii, <laughs> yep. Yep. He became the oldest war correspondent, and he actually witnessed Pearl Harbor. That's actually the shot from Pearl Harbor. They didn't know what was going on mm -hmm. at the time. They thought it yeah. was like uh, exercises, naval exercises or something, and uh, that they were really witnessing the attack. Yeah. And there's Hully. Tell them who and Hully is. ERB. They might know who Hully is. They know. <laughs> Ellie. <laughs> Not everybody. Hully is ERB's son. From what I understand, they were playing tennis in the morning before it had hit. So there he is there as a war correspondent. And then this is uh, his family. And as he began to you know, reach his golden age, uh, he, the kids took over. So we've got Holly there on the left, and then Marion and uh, John Coleman Burroughs was the, um, all the way on the right. And they stepped in and took over the corporation. Um, and there's again Hulbert, Holly Burroughs, Marion Burroughs. And I was actually hired when Marion was still in the office. So that was an experience. She was, she was a tough cookie. Um, Danton Burroughs was uh, my immediate boss, and I worked with him in the, off in the warehouse, uh, packing books and doing all sorts of inventory. And he taught me so much about the archives. That's how I started with the company. And unfortunately, in 2008, we lost him to a heart attack. Every generation has a Tarzan, and that's proof. And the only one we don't have on there is Alexander Skarsgård, so we've got to add him on there. And there he is. 
All right, we got to quickly move through yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, so I'll take over after this. All right, this. your so, turn. All right, so in 1931, Edgar Rice Burroughs uh, started publishing his own works, trying to cut out the middleman and uh, you know businessman that he was. Um, and uh, through up through 1967, they published books. The last one was I'm a Barbarian. They were, it kind of went dormant in the 1950s and 60s until that last one that they put out. But uh, right in 1948, they did a big push right when ERB was in his elder years to get, get as many of them back in print as possible. Um, but uh, we have relaunched the publishing division. A lot of you know we have the author, Edgar Rice Authorized Library, very handsome definitive editions with um, uh, new uh, cover art and uh, frontispieces by Joe Jusco, um, new forwards and afterwards by ERB scholars and luminaries, and huge sections, uh, especially as you go along, we've been putting more and more in the archival sections in the backs of the books. So I encourage you to stop by our table and take a look at those. But we've got a lot of stunning artwork. Joe's doing like the best work of his career on this stuff. Uh, that's his words. Um, so we have up through book 20, uh, right now available, and we're hoping to get books 20, uh, 21 through 24 out. Go. <laughs> um, these are the ones that just came out. Uh, we're hoping to get the last four uh, Tarzan in the main series out by the end of the year. And here's a preview of some of the art. He's still working on the last piece of artwork, but it's just amazing, it's amazing artwork. And then uh, next year, after the Tarzan, the main Tarzan series has been published, we're going to start publishing the Barsoom novels, the original Barsoom novels by Edgar Rice Burroughs. So those will also have the big archival sections and all the new artwork by Joe and new forwards and afterwards. And we're calling 2024 the Year of Mars. So if we can get, if, if Joe can get me the seven paintings, I will get those seven books out. So, um, but uh, and then uh, we're also going to have the first ever novel starring Deja Thoris. Uh, I'll mention that in just a bit here. And then Chris Adams here, his second book should be coming out next year. So cool. all goes well. And back in 2019, we launched the ERB Universe. We've put out a lot of, a lot of books in that series since then. These are new works set in ERB's worlds um, uh, based on the original canon by Edgar Rice Burroughs. So they're consistent with Burroughs, but they're also consistent with one another. So we, before that was the Wild Adventures series. That's what um, uh, Chris and Will are writing in. That gives the authors a little bit more leeway to do what they, they want to do if they want to have their own internal consistency within their books um, versus they don't have to, like... If Will writes a book, he can contradict what Chris writes. <laughs> but they're all working on, they're all trying to work off of what ERB did or, or innovate on it. You know? So they can, be, they can be as true to canon, to the original canon, as an ERB universe book, to, to, just to be clear. So um, it's just that the ERB universe ones are consistent with one another. That's all. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so uh, these are the universe books we put out. Last year, end of last year, my book, uh, Victory Harbin Fires of Halos came out that was introducing a new uh, character who descended from the, the original canon, Victory Harbin, um, and that is on sale now. And so right now we are putting out cosmic epics and savage epics. This is an effort really to try to get 
new new readers into the younger readers into um, into the, ecos the ERB ecosystem. Um, so these are the first works. These are omnibuses, collections of the first works in all of ERB's major series. Um, and uh, Garen Roberts, who a lot of you know here from Pulp Fest, he uh, wrote the uh, uh, introductions to these books. Uh, really great uh, introductions, putting them into the context of of the whole literary landscape and how they influenced everything going afterwards. Because these books are the books that changed the, the face of science fiction and fantasy. Um, but uh, we have Cosmic Epics here debuting at Pulp Fest. We don't have Savage Epics yet, but it's coming in, a, in, a, in a, just a few short weeks, hopefully before the end of August. Um, so please check those out. There's also interior illustrations by a lot of great classic ERB artists in them. So, and I wrote a preface if you care. <laughs> but, um, so here's that book, Princess of Mars. Oh, it got cut off. It's supposed to say Shadow of the Assassins by uh, Anton Serzetti's. Um, this is a brand new uh, book uh, about, you know, novel about uh, Dejah Thoris. It's actually set before she met John Carter. So this is a, a, a very young Dejah Thoris kind of learning the ropes of things. Um, it's a really good novel. I have, I have the manuscript already. Hope to get that. I'll probably go up for pre-order early next year. So, but um, it's a, and she's a fantastic writer. So, and then um, we've been doing a lot of uh, comics. So for the first time, Eggersburg is incorporated. Instead of licensing out comics, we've actually been producing them in-house and having complete oversight of them. Um, so there was a little bit of, of, a, of a movement of the company in the 1970s where the company had a lot of oversight over the like what they called graphic albums back then. But this is us actually publishing them. We're not, not licensing them out. Um, and they are also canon. They also are canon with the Edgar Rice Burroughs Universe books. So they, it's the same world building, the same continuity. So we first came out with Jane Porter, The Primordial Peril, a one-shot comic book in, uh, introducing Jane Porter as her own hero. And then most recently, we came out with Jane Porter and the City of Fire, which we have both of these in the dealer's room at our table. If you want to check those out, uh, fantastic artwork um, written by Mike Wolfer um, and artwork by Mariana Puglia. It's just really, really good. It also, like, they do tie into the novel. So if you're reading, like, the Swords of Eternity super arc that Wynn and I uh, write, have written installments in, it, there are references to that. It all, it all ties together. And... Um, Speaking of Jane Porter, we have a, an official Jane Porter Instagram that you should all follow. So that's, that's uh, Kathy's <laughs> daughter-in-law <laughs> posing as Jane there. So it's a fun thing if you're on Instagram. Um, we are about to do a Kickstarter for The Moon Maid, The Three Keys. So this is collecting the, the three-issue miniseries, but there's going to be a brand new story in the back by Mike Wolfer, a Moon Maid story. And we're introducing a new special feature, which I'm not, Mike won't let me say what it is, but uh, a new really, really fun, fun uh, special feature that's going to be in the backs of our feature comics. Maybe, maybe have a feature feature comic with them too someday. We'll see. But um, and uh, so that's going to be on Kickstarter. Here's this is the limited edition cover. It's going to be Frazetta cover. We've been working with the Frazetta girls on this one, they provided the artwork for that, so that's great. So that will go up soon, that will actually go up in August. So it's 
coming real soon. Mike's working hard on that. But there's going to be a new Victory Harbing graphic novel coming out that um, is a sequel to my novel. Um, it's really, really high quality stuff. Uh, we, have, we have it all in. Um, I, I'll just, I'm just going to give you a, some samples of it real quickly here just so you can see the beautiful artwork. But they did a fantastic job on it. And this is set in the OMA system from beyond the farthest star. But we're going to planets beyond Pelota, beyond the one that ERB wrote about. So we're, we're able to expand on the world building. Because there are uh, 11 planets in that solar system. ERB only took us to one, so now we're going to the other ones. So this is on the planet Xandar. And then there's Hucklebuck. If you've read my book and read some of the Beyond the Farthest Star comics that came out recently, he's, he's a favorite in, in the... In, uh, I'm going to spoil this, but in the Kickstarter for the Victory Harbin Ghosts of Omas, we're going to have a Hucklebuck plush. Because mm -hmm. we've a lot of people have been asking for it. You, you brought I have one. It. You It'll be at the table tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. Yep. And those are, those are actually being handcrafted by Kathy's mom. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Who has worked oh. for the company since 1976. Mm -hmm. so. She's such a perfectionist. Yeah. You guys got to check it out. So this okay. really, this really is an ERB Inc. production. The yeah. stuff yeah. that we're doing is like, we are actually literally it's all of us making effort. it. <laughs> we're all working together. So, but it's a fantastic comic. Um, and how are we doing on time? We're doing okay. Um, so, and, and so now we are to the segment for the author. So uh, this is uh, the cover art for Wynn's novel coming up, Korak at the Earth's Core. Uh, it's by E.M. Gist. It's a wraparound cover. I'm going to show that off too, if you see that. It's a beautiful wraparound cover. So you get that whole Pellucidarian curving upward landscape kind of thing. So, but um, I'm going to let Wynn take it away from here. All right. Thanks, yeah. Chris. So, um, Thank you to ERB Inc. and everyone for the support and allowing me to come back and do another entry in the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe. Um, so my first book was Tarzan, Battle for Pellucidar, and it was part of the Swords of Eternity super arc, four books, um, which can be read as standalones, but then if you read them, now that the fourth, fourth book is out, go back and read them all together, right? And, yeah. and you'll have a different way of experiencing it uh, because there are common threads throughout. Uh, so yeah, it was a great experience uh, to write that book. It was very, just, you know, a dream come true, frankly, to be able to write um, one of the most popular characters of all time, Tarzan. Um, so they graciously invited me back and, you know, we talked about it and thought, look, you know, Korok is kind of an overlooked Character. He had his own novel in The Son of Tarzan, and then he has basically some cameos uh, in a couple of the subsequent books, and then he kind of disappears um, from, uh, you know, from view. And uh, the Korok comic books that came out from Gold Key and then DC were pretty popular, but they kind of did their own thing with Korok. They dispensed with Miriam, his wife, who he married in, at the end of Son of Tarzan, that's not a spoiler, because that book is over 100 years old. So, uh, and so Miriam doesn't, you know, for all intents and purposes, doesn't appear in the comics. And then they kind of de-age Korak, or Korak, <laughs> uh, 
back to, you know, maybe 15 or 16 or 14, uh, and he's more of a teenager, and he's having some really sort of trippy uh, adventures in, in some of those comics. Uh, a lot of fun, um, but we're not going off of those comics in this book. We're going back to uh, the first novel, Son of Tarzan, and really dealing with the initial characterization as Burroughs presented him, which is, it, you know, it, it, some might say it was a rehash, you know, kid raised in the jungle by himself, um, overcomes adversity, um, wins the girl. But Korok is, if you really are slowly reading The Son of Tarzan, he's definitely a different character from Tarzan. Um, he's got a rougher edge. He does some. He does a few pretty unsavory things uh, in the first half of the book, uh, and then we kind of have the introduction of Miriam about halfway through, or rather, she's been introduced before. But we have the meeting of Korok and Miriam uh, approximately halfway through, and then you sort of have your classic trope of redemption. You know, the redemption of love, and Korok kind of rises to the occasion and. Um, uh, and his behavior improves correspondingly. But so what I wanted to look at was, you know, well, how would Korok behave if Miriam weren't around? And by the way, I'm not doing anything like splitting up Korok and Miriam. They're happily married. Um, you know, the decades have gone on because they have the immortality elixir. Um, but they don't have necessarily the exact t same type of relationship as Tarzan and, and Jane do. Uh, all that said, Miriam is definitely um, a primary character in the book. That's, that's her right there. So she rates uh, a cover appearance, and we're kind of doing the traditional alternating chapters of Korok and Miriam and Korok and Miriam, and then uh, having their separate adventures and coming together. But it's been kind of a treat to, to, to kind of deal with Korok, and you know, what if we took away that, that redemptive influence of Miriam? How would he behave uh, without her? Uh, and kind of, you know, what is going on with Korok psychologically that maybe um, his father dealt with uh, in a little bit better manner than Korok is dealing with. So um, don't want you to get the idea this is not grim, dark Korok, you know, like with all these dark superhero movies and stuff that's going on. It's not what it is. But there's a little bit of a deeper character look, um, I would say. Uh, so uh, in the tradition of the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe, kind of the, the mantra is moving the stories and the characters forward. Um, what, what has happened in their lives subsequently? Where are they going with their lives? And just um, as Burroughs was kind of always writing, um, not always, but quite a, quite a bit concurrently in the concurrent time frame in which he was living, um, we're moving uh, the Korak and Miriam story forward several decades. So the Swords of Eternity super arc was in uh, the early 1950s, or 1950, 51. Um, the Jane Porter comics are in 1952. And then we kind of jump forward uh, to 1971 uh, for this series. So this will be the first book uh, in a trilogy of three called the Dead Moon super arc. Uh, a Pellucidar trilogy. Uh, and uh, so we're going to kind of see the Greystokes get a little bit more involved in the goings-on in Pellucidar. But we'll still have the return of David Ennis and Abner Perry and 
uh, and Diane the Beautiful, uh, and so on. But again, you know, moving it forward because people's lives are not static and these characters are not static. Um, they grow and they do things. Uh, one thing that I wanted to mention, if I still have time, um, is kind of one of the key components of the character of Korok, or one of the key controversies around the character, um, was um, what I'll call um, a self-inflicted wound by Mr. Burroughs. Sorry, uh, but um, he, he wrote The Beasts of Tarzan, uh, and in The Beasts of Tarzan, uh, uh, Korok, or Jack, little Jack, is an infant who is kidnapped or allegedly kidnapped. Uh, and then we jump forward to the next book, uh, uh, The Son of Tarzan, and he's a teenager who then goes off to Africa and spends several years there. Uh, and then we jump forward again, uh, and suddenly uh, we have a mention in Tarzan the Untamed that, uh, uh, I believe, or is it Terrible? Terrible. Terrible. Uh, Tarzan the Terrible, that Korok is uh, serving uh, on the Argonne Front in World War I, which um, that offensive was September to November uh, 28, uh, 1918, the very last months of the Great War. Uh, and, and so there's, there's a continuity glitch there um, because it says right in Tarzan of the Apes that Tarzan was born in, 19, or, yeah, born in 1888. So how can he have a son who was an infant and then suddenly is old enough to serve uh, in the Great War? And most of you have probably heard of this. Uh, it's called the, the Korok time discrepancy, and there have been a lot of different fan solutions uh, to it. Some... Uh, some folks move the date backward for Tarzan of the Apes. Uh, other folks, uh, Phil Farmer, for instance, has suggested that maybe Korok was actually an adopted son. Um, canonically, uh, we're not going with either of those, but we will address the great Korok time discrepancy uh, in the book, in the series. We'll introduce the issue uh, in the first book, um, probably won't provide the full solution to it until the third book. Uh, but uh, this will be an in, in continuity, in universe, um, addressing uh, what happened there. Uh, so I'm having fun with that. Uh, and I think I'll wrap it up so I don't take too much uh, other folks' time. But I do want to you know, mention that this is about the dead moon of Pellucidar. It's the pendant moon, um, which is in geostationary orbit within the hollow Earth. Uh, which is just, you know, crazy. I mean, what an innovative concept, right, yeah. for him to come up with. And it hangs you like know? a mile above yeah. the surface. Yeah. It so hangs. how do the physics yeah. of that work? Exactly. My, my character, Victor, Victory Harbin, wonders about that. So right. We'll see if it gets right. solved in your novel. Yeah, it's like, this little, <laughs> it's like this little tiny moon that's hanging above, yeah. you know, one mile above the inner curved surface of a hollow you know, world. And how does that work? Um, there's a, a place that's called the Land of Awful Shadow, which is in perpetual shadow because the moon always hangs in the same place in relation to the inner crust. And so where all of the rest of Pellucidar is eternal daylight, um, sun 24-7, uh, if there were time, which there's not, um, uh, perpetual daylight, and then you have this weird land of awful shadow which people are afraid of, and you have this mysterious dead moon that no one has ever been to, and it's all tied up in Korok and Tarzan. Uh, so yeah, um, Tarzan goes on a rescue mission to uh, look for his daughter, Suzanne, who has disappeared. Miriam 
who has been left behind by Korok and is pissed <laughs> about that, follows in a different way. Uh, and, uh, and we'll see how they all come together to try to rescue uh, Korok's daughter, who's Tarzan's granddaughter. So this book will be announced very soon um, and um, will be shipped before the end of the year. So coming very, very soon. Thank you, Wynn. Thank you. So so I'd like to move on to the Wild Adventures series now. So uh, let's move on to Will. So if you tell us a little bit about your new book, Tarzan Back to Mars. Here it is. I bought copies with me, uh, the soft cover. Well, you know, when I did... um, my first Tarzan, Tarzan Returned to Pal Old Dawn. Uh, the setup was Tarzan joins the RAF in World War II. In this book, it happens he's coming back from his wartime service, and as he's flying along over his uh, portion of Africa, North Africa, uh, he sees these metal birds and these savage warriors flying around, and they, they have a little engagement in the air, and he, he recognizes they don't belong to Africa because they're not only white, but they're, they're, um, they ha- they're, they're riding birds that are clearly made of metal, and they're robotic in that sense. So he's got to figure out who these you know interlopers are. So this book is a sequel to my second complete Tarzan. We're not going to count Tarzan versus uh, King Kong versus Tarzan because that's more of a King Kong novel. But in that one, for those of you who haven't read it, Tarzan ends up on Mars through no fault of his own, and he hates it. He doesn't want to be there, he wants to get home, and, but he has to survive in the short term. So he, he has adventures on Mars, gathers uh, allies, and through his first contacts with John Carter on Mars, they have a series of misunderstandings because Tarzan appears to be raising an army when actually he's just acquiring followers who you know see him as a leader, so they have they have a big disagreement, and uh, eventually they work through that uh, in a big epic battle. And Tarzan finds his way back to Earth through the the help of you know people who I won't name, but who know how to do it. And so I had a lot of positive response to this book. Uh, but a couple of people said I was really hoping for a team-up book where they fight a, they team up to fight a significant adversary. Well, that was in the back of my mind all along. I always hoped to write a sequel to the book because I thought it was a good if we could get Tarzan to Mars for the first time and then give him a, a plausible reason to go back. He might have a different kind of adventure. And in this case, he and John Carter and Tars Tarkas and others are allies. When, when Tarzan realizes the interlopers in Africa are Martian, number one, and two, they're, set, they're setting up a colony which he won't tolerate because they, they brought thoats and, and other giant Martian creatures who are lumbering around wrecking everything. He realizes he has to go back to Mars, talk to John Carter if he knows who these people are. He has some clues in terms of names and things. Uh, so he, he, he reconnects with John Carter and they have a kind of a, a detective story element where they have to figure out, okay, who are these people? We have these clues, this place name, we don't know if it's a place, a person, or whatever. 
uh, and they start to work the problem, as they say at NASA, by talking to people who say, okay, there are metal malagors. Where are malagors? Naturally on Mars, they yes. Yeah. Let's go there and see if there's a connection there. Or if we talk to this person, what if we talk to that person? I don't want to name names. That's the back cover image for the hardcover by Joe DeVito, oh. which just got finished only a couple of weeks ago. Uh, so they, this is sort of, originally I was gonna call this three against Mars. It was sort of like seven against Thebes. <laughs> it was John Carter, Tarzan, and Tars Tarkas, you know, taking on the problem. You know, finding the base that these spaceships are coming from and destroying it and stopping the invasion of Africa. But as I wrote the book, more opportunities came to introduce other characters, reintroduce other characters, so it became more like Seven Against Mars. And we have some interesting crossovers with other Burroughs series that are not, they're not as direct as they might be, they're sort of glancing, but you'll find them very surprising and very satisfying because we have Tarzan and John Carter uh, getting allies on Earth who could help them solve the problem. So without giving too much away, this is sort of a, a tour of Mars. A lot of your favorite Martian, Barsoomian characters will be encountered in this book. And I, I really like it because it's different from the first one in the sense that the first one is a epic of survival and, 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 and uh, misunderstandings. And this is essentially a team-up book, you know? Some of uh, Burroughs' greatest characters team up to solve a problem and they do it in classic style. And I had a lot of fun with it. It, it basically wrote itself. Well, when will, the, when will the hardcover be available? Sometime in August, depending on my cohort in crime, Matt Morley, <laughs> who's going to design it. And I should mention this. We, I wrote a Sherlock Holmes story in which uh, John Clayton, Lord Greystoke, comes to Sherlock Holmes with a problem, a mystery to be solved, that he can't solve with his resources. And we not only got this, you know, approved by the Edgar Rice Burroughs people, but the, we reached out to the Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle estate. They read it and they approved it. So while the soft cover carries, and I'm very proud of this, because this is a new thing, uh, the sparing the stamp of approval of Edgar mm -hmm. Rice Burroughs and Cobra, I, I liked it so much, I didn't, I wasn't satisfied to have it in black and white, in, you know, on a, on a front page. We put it in color on the back. And I thought, this is, you know, it's, it's a nice design element. We made it orange to blend in and match the, the logo, but it just looks cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for the hardcover, which will have that on the back cover, the Sherlock Holmes and Tarzan story in the back will have the imprints of both. So that's yeah, never been done before. So, you know, there's never been a crossover between those two characters that was approved by the estates of the creators. So it's a really historic and very cool thing. Yeah. And it's a good story. It's, and it's yeah. not a short story, it's 10,000 words. So it's a novella. All right, well, we, I really encourage people to pick, pick up the book. Will has copies at his table, right? That's right. So check that out tomorrow morning while well, he still has copies. Because yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Will sells through his stock real fast, so um, definitely check those out. So, But thank you, Will. Um, thank you.
And so now let's move on to uh, Chris Adams. So he has a new book that we just announced on Tuesday on EggerRaceBurrows.com called uh, uh, Dark Tides of Mars, A Novel of Barsoom. So you want to talk a little bit about that? And, yeah. And uh, let me... I keep behind <clears> I'm still getting here. used to the, the new title. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a working title, Scientists of Mars, because one of the my favorite type of characters that Burroughs put in a lot of his Martian novels were the, the scientists. And they created, you know, the compound of invisibility and the, the, the rays that made ships disappear and just all those cool things. So I uh, got the idea to have this basically a, a mashup of a bunch of scientists, and there was a reason for it. They, these, the good scientists from the, the cities of Gathal and... Um, Helium and all that, what I would call the allied cities, city-states, they uh, discovered that they're on the cusp of a uh, catastrophe. And to head off this catastrophe, they, they come up with an idea that there was a couple of cities that they used to do business with back in the day, back in the seafaring days, that had the purest form of radium that was available on the planet. And they need it. They need it to stem off this catastrophe. So... They come up with a, there's a young scientist uh, named Dat Voga who is uh, an outstanding pupil. Uh, he's an excellent swordsman and very keen and sharp in his uh, vocation. They make him an ambassador and they send him off and they don't send him alone because he's not, a, he's not, he's not studied in you know, speaking to foreign powers. So they, uh, they form a, a group and they elect and decide that Carthus will accompany him to make sure he is a good statesman. And so these two take off to go find these two lost cities that nobody has been to in literally hundreds of thousands of years, not knowing whether they still exist or not. And uh, at some point, um, they are engaged because of a run-in they have with a, a salty character from one of those two cities. They have a, those guys attack them and they end up fighting it out in a gorge where they're all captured by this scientist who has been sitting in there like a hunkered down, like a spider, basically maniacally coming up with this wild plan to he's gonna destroy modern day Barsoom and he's got a definite plan to do so. And uh, as you have seen from the cover, this involves uh, our modern day characters actually time traveling because that's what this guy intended to do was to time travel where he would then sow the seeds for Barsoom's destruction in the past and these guys are on the cusp of being destroyed by this scientist whose name is Daxus Nall when they use his machine to escape him and the only thing is that when they do so they they understand how to use it to go into the past but they have to figure out how to later use it to get back to the future and so you have kind of a juxtaposition of where john carter first came to barsoom he was the only white man on there until they you know they met some of the holy therns later on but but basically everybody's the you know the red men and the yellow men and then you have the black men but uh in this story you have a red man and a red girl who are the only two red people in the world, and the rest are the ancient Orovars. And so they will meet the seafarers and uh, have all kinds of exciting adventures. The whole time, Dat Boga, this savvy, smart, 
sharp, dapper scientist, mind-boggling, tried to figure out how to use this machine that was invented by this crazed maniac. And can he do it in time to get back? Because at the time that he escaped to save this girl, uh, Carthras was still captive. And so he knows that this guy's going to kill him. He's going to wipe out everybody that could possibly stop him. And um, I'm not sure how, how much time to spend talking about the novel. I know we're running short. Yeah, I mean, but uh, that is the, 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 the crux of it. And I uh, want to thank ERB Inc. because I have been talking to these guys for years now. I wrote this story right after I saw the John Carter movie, so 2012. I finished it up, fired off an email to Jim Sulos, and he was interested. And we've, I've been talking with them off and on for years now. And while I was waiting on them, I went on to write two sequels to this novel. And uh, eventually, I ended up with three full novels. And they were very long. And Jim told me, he said, they're too long to print. There'll be tomes. Nobody will want to read it. And it was Lee Strong who said, hey, just cut them all in half. You'll have six novels. <laughs> so that's what I did. So, I mean, it depends on how well, obviously, this novel does. But there are a handful of them. And they are written as a series. So hopefully these, and I, and I, I told Chris earlier, I modeled these after the, the first three Barsoom novels where each one ends in a cliffhanger, right? And what do you want to do? You want to immediately pick up that next one and read it. And I hope that's what you guys feel about these. Yeah, and so that is available now on our website to pre-order, and it'll be shipping pretty soon. We're pretty far along in the production process. And, um, and like I said before, we will be putting out the sequel. So basically he's got duologies going on now because he split them. So the, the second of this duology will come out next year. So just wanted to, let's see if we have any more slides. We can't remember. So that's pretty much the end there. Wanted to... Um, open it up to questions. Do you guys have anything that you want to ask us about? Um, any questions about what we're doing at the company? Or? The various comics that you mentioned uh, yeah. earlier uh, available to the normal distribution channels and comic shops? Right now, no. <laughs> now, yeah, so uh, are, are you a comic shop owner or you just want to get them in comic shops? Because we, we will wholesale in the comic shops. So but but we're not going through Diamond or anything right now. Uh, so the comic shop contacted Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So we, we're launching them on Kickstarter to do the initial funding on them. Then later we'll release a, just a, like a mass market edition with a new cover on it. So, but, yeah. the, but the Kickstarters have special stuff. Through Amazon or just through, through our website? Currently just through our website, but hopefully later on Amazon. But... Um, uh, the Kickstarters have a lot of um, like collectible covers and things, you know, a lot of limited edition things and uh, bonus things. Uh, yeah, so. Any other questions? Questions? Questions about our centennial? Questions about? Uh, Are uh, the 100th anniversary T-shirts available that Kathy's wearing? Yes, we have a couple of them at the table. All right. And they're also available on Amazon. Yeah, check, check out our store. We have you know limited stock in our t-shirts right here, so if you don't have the sizes or the particular, we have a ton more patterns too, different designs. Mm -hmm. They're all available at amazon.com slash Tarzan, lowercase t. Yeah. <laughs> Lee. Question for Will. What part of Africa are the Martians invading? They are um, on the shores of Lake Victoria. Um, 
I think it's uh, west of west or southwest or northwest. I can't remember uh, from where Tarzan's uh, homestead is. Okay, thank you. Tarzan is usually considered to live in Kenya, so yeah, Lake Victoria would be to his southwest. Okay. Yeah, I have a follow-up question about the Martian invasion, because I thought to myself uh, when I was reading the novels, um, we're lucky that the planet has a different density, right? So that if Martians ever invaded, they wouldn't be able to get up off the ground because John Carter can leap around. So how did you tackle that? I tackled that by having the Martians wear armor made of the, uh, what is it, the, I want to say the nth metal, but I'm, I may be um, confusing my series. Um, Are you referring to the eighth ray? The eighth ray. It was, the wasn't eighth a, ray, yeah. yeah, yeah. Charge by the they're they're yeah. wearing armor that uh, is treated with the eighth ray, yeah. and, uh, and their, their animals are also armored in that okay. way, uh, although I don't think the banths are. They brought a banth or two to see if they could adapt on their own, but also to keep away uh, African predators, which they saw as uh, pretty formidable, you know, rhinoceros and, and elephant and such. Uh, so they, they, one of the problems they have is if in a fight, if the armor pieces start falling off, they can't move this arm or that <laughs> or whatever. And so it's a, I, did, I did resolve that, maybe not perfectly, but I resolved it in a, in a sense that was you know, consistent with our, our modern day understanding, which was also Burroughs, you know, he understood the difference in, yeah, in gravity and that, you know, which is one reason why, you know, um, the invasion plan probably wasn't going to work out too well in the long term. <laughs> you can't really live in armor, and, you know, and maybe they adapt, they would adapt over time, but, or their children would, or grandchildren would. I'm not sure how that would work evolutionarily. But, uh, yeah, I did cover that. You know, I thought you know uh, well enough to um, uh, to pass muster for the readers who would be you know concerned about that issue. Um, I, di I did want to mention one thing I just forgot when I was just going over my publishing thing, publishing overview is that we are like moving forward with a lot more universe novels, and hopefully Will will also write another one for us. I hope. <laughs> you a plot. Oh, great. We'll have a, we'll was, have a talk later. I didn't want to say it. But, you know, when I, when I wrote this, I thought, well, maybe yeah. that's enough Tarzans yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, but, I, and this is an important thing for me in writing the, the two crossovers, was to show the difference mentally, physically, psychologically between Tarzan and John Carter. Because I was heard a pretty well-known Burroughs fan say, well, John Carter and Tarzan, they're basically the same character. Well, they both have black hair and gray mm -hmm. eyes, and they're very capable. Mm -hmm. But no, they're mm -hmm. very different characters. And the beauty and the joy of writing these, and I, you know, I, I have to thank Edgar Rice Burroughs, as everybody else has, for letting me do these important crossovers, uh, is to be able to see Tarzan through John Carter's eyes, because he narrates some of these chapters and to see him through that lens. And for Tarzan to work with John Carter, but also be independent and go his own way when he spontaneously, there's a scene in the book where, and it's not giving away, where they, they think they have located the base, but they're not sure this is it. And they're in one of the, one of the big battleships of, of helium. And John Carter is saying, you know, we, uh, we, it's night, so it's okay, we, we, 
this may be it. We may have found it. All right. Uh, so we'll 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 go back to this city and we'll lay plans to, you know, come back with a larger force. And Tarzan jumps on the rail of the thing, and he he's he's going down to investigate now. Mm-hmm. And, and and John mm-hmm. Carter is saying, wait a minute, we we're gonna lose the element of surprise. And Tarzan says. I am the element. <laughs> and throughout the book, that's a recurring kind of a thing, you know. And to me, the the the, the great joy and, and and fun of writing these books is to do a scene like that, where you you could say, yeah, these are two different characters. They think differently. They fight differently. They act differently, and that emblemizes that. Cool. So I, I do have a I did come so my, my, my to finish the, the first part of that <laughs> second part whatever part that was uh, I thought maybe this is a good time to just say it's a high note but I announced another project and a bunch of people on Facebook said wait, wait what what about your next Tarzan and I said well maybe I should look at that so I came up with something yeah the amazing thing about Edgar Riceboro is that he's inspired all these writers to to build on his worlds and, and there's just something about his world building and his characters that he's created these the iconic characters so and we I'm going to just tease a little bit here but I'm about to ink the contracts on a new Monster Men novel set mm-hmm. in the Monster Men series um, uh, or creating it turning it into a series I should say because there was only one novel mm-hmm. and then um, also a new Land That Time Forgot novel so mm-hmm. stay tuned for those yeah. so but cool. thank you all thank you our time's up so you've been listening to a pulp event podcast brought to you by the pulp net your link to the online world of the pulp magazines for over 25 years learn more about the pulp magazines through articles blogs bibliographies links over 100 episodes of this podcast, and much more, at thepulp.net. Also, look for The Pulp Net on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening, and keep reading The Pulps. This Pulp Event Podcast is copyright 2023 by William P. Lampkin. All rights reserved.